Hello and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. Bruce McIndoe has been a visionary and entrepreneur in the national security, intelligence, and operational risk management space for global organizations over the past four decades. He is now the president of McIndoe Risk Advisory, which he founded in April 2020 to help organizations achieve agile operational resiliency by protecting their people, facilities, supply, and information assets. And what that really means is he's a very smart guy, very clued into what's happening in the world. And I often ask him what should be on my radar with respect to the meetings and events industry now and in the years ahead. So with that, welcome, Bruce, and thanks for being here today. It feels like 10, 15 years ago when you were talking about how weather events were going to become more severe. And it was the first time I heard that. But you called it. Unfortunately. (laughs) As I said, this may be the worst in history, but expect more worst in history. Right, right. I worked in climate change at NASA in the late 70s and 80s. Wow. And we were all ready that this was going to be an issue. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. so focused on extra Earth, you know, outside of Earth issues, the moon and Mars and all that, we really didn't point the instruments at our own planet, right? Right. So that was the mission. It still happens today. But the fundamental failure of the scientists that were doing the climate modeling is they underestimated the accelerator factor, right? Mm-hmm. So like, what is this heat doing that's melting glaciers, which makes more dark earth, which absorbs more energy, which puts more heat. And so that whole acceleration factor was way underestimated. And and about four years ago, one of the climate scientists started to put out alarms and said that our model of one and a half or two degrees C is woefully undercompensating with how things are accelerating. Right. right. We can see within our own country the whole fumbling of investment in green energy and climate change. And anyway, that's that's one thing. I work with Pacific Gas and Electric and and helping them look at resiliency and security and those kinds of things. And so just kind of looking at our aging electrical grid infrastructure and stuff like that it's like oh my god and so meeting planners have to expect more interruption to their plans well what they have to be thinking about is those disruption windows and we've seen this already this year with the hurricane season right as heat and cool and and things move around and el ninos and all of that that window of potential massive disruption, whether it's hurricane season here or typhoon, monsoon seasons, but they're going to have to pay a lot more attention to mm-hmm. scheduling and working and thinking about climate right. more than 
winter, summer in the northern and southern hemisphere. I think they're going to have to be a little bit more pragmatic about thinking about weather. Yeah. Uh, and I think they also have to be more pragmatic in thinking about stressors. If you look where we are right now with drought in the United States, do you really want to put something down the road and then find out there's a water constraint and there's no swimming pools right. and not, none of the uh, fountains are running and right. they can't water the golf courses and so site selection is going to become more complicated for planning you have to be prepared for sitting in an air-conditioned hotel or conference center and that's about it right yeah and do you see a greater reason to plan a digital component to meetings because of this? We've talked about this since the beginning of the pandemic. Hybrid meetings is the standard coming out of this. Then we create such opportunity for diversity and inclusion, not just on race and culture, but also economic, right? Mm -hmm. Or someone from India can stay up at one o'clock in the morning and participate in the conversations and learning. So I feel like because of the uncertainty in the environment, right? Look at hurricane season. I mean, we're just kind of starting to warm up right now as far as, you know, mm -hmm. storms because of the uncertainty about climate and that kind of stuff. Always having that hybrid capability lets you pivot and adapt and manage around that no matter what the forces of nature throw at you right so, so it's a resiliency strategy right i'm doing two presentations next week on this transition from purely travel risk management to people risk management right. because my position is at the end of the day human resources should own erm right people is that's their business they really need to look holistically around the asset that they're bringing into the company and mm -hmm. managing the risk of that asset holistically mm -hmm. in partnership with the disciplines that support risk it's very much like travel managers 20 years ago were like mm, i don't know if i want to get involved with travel risk management i'm not sure that sounds right. scary right <laughs> And then now it's like so fully embraced and part of their learning and language. And and so and now you see that as shifting more toward an HR function. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. As, well, I do because what could be more logical than the whole team of people whose job it is, is to focus on people. Then right. why aren't they managing the risk of people? The other thing that I see a lot of talk about organizational resiliency and operational resiliency and there's definitely, I feel, a direct linkage between those objectives, right? This concept of having a resilient organization mm -hmm. or resilient operations of the business with travel and meetings. Mm -hmm. And uh, for lots of reasons, <laughs> but yeah. instead of travel being kind of just functional right i've got to go see a client i've got to go to a conference i've got to, whatever it is and boom transactional that it should be more expressive in the sense that 
you have all this distributed workforce now. How do you create those uh, real interpersonal connections that are not happening over this flat screen, right? Right. Like you and I might sit and have a glass of wine and just solve the world's problems. But you know, you don't do that in this environment. And making it very intentional that you create these opportunities for distributed teammates to be able to come together and create an environment for these kinds of connections. So think about team building things that corporations used to do. Okay, well, that could be part of it, but maybe it's also like little seminars, right? Or discussion groups or whatever that just kind of gets people to just like we're doing right, right now like what's on your mind what are you thinking what are the hurdles that we're running into right now maybe they do an ad hoc group on let's think about how ai could be applied so yeah i just feel like that needs to happen in this space rather than oh we're gonna have a sales meeting right the remote workforce is creating more of a need for a loose agenda gathering of people so that they can brainstorm and make connections and feel like they know one another and that know. there's some structure yeah that allows for unstructured expansion right. getting people to kind of know each other loosen up a little bit have some conversations maybe in a moderated or directive way with a facilitator and then letting people see do and learn right, themselves right. right so not just kind of like do 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 but actually involve them and educate them on how they can repeat these things in smaller groups on their own right, right. so maybe the people in boston get together and do their own thing and it doesn't have to be sales or it doesn't have to be engineering it can be like 16 people hr Right. Whatever, the line workers coming together and doing this kind of thing. One out of five or one out of four are having some level of mental health issues that they're having to deal with. And I think the number overall is like 60 or 70% of people that indicate that they have some level of anxiety all the way to depression. Right. But only about one in five are actually seeking help. But still, when you think about 20% of the workforce that's reaching out to get mental health support, we better figure out how to address that and support people and give them more help and more support within the group. And you see that like an employee assistance program and every time something horrible happens that people might freak out about like a 9-11 we get an email <laughs> email reminding us that this program is available yeah. to us i mean it's something it's near zero yeah there's all kinds of variations around this in england there's mental health champions right yeah and this is a very innovative and important tool that every company this should be standard but basically you go out you get volunteers there's no like ordering people to do it volunteers to take the training so you have, you have two components to the training mental health first aid and then the mental health champions program for the company right and, and what these employees do is they volunteer to be 
I don't go to my line manager. I don't go to HR because I'm not comfortable, but I can go to this person that's like almost like an ombudsman kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And and I can just sit down with them and have a conversation about my challenges, right? They're not there to solve problems. They're not a, a psychologist or something. They understand one, mental health first aid. Is this person in serious distress? Mm -hmm and what actions should be taken to make sure that this is addressed. But, but more importantly, what resources are available to this individual beyond calling an EAP line? Because for mental health, it's physical, mental, and financial. A lot of companies forget about the financial component that can right. create yeah. huge stress, right? But anyway, so, and then these mental health champions have a reporting structure, which is how I get involved with it. That's a anonymous reporting that alerts the company that they may have stressors building up either in a facility or in a particular region or whatever, that they may need more proactive engagement. So we call it human sensing. That's half of the equation. The other half is that instead of expecting the employee to come to the champion, the champion actually creates an opportunity for people to open up, right? Mm -hmm. And then they try to do it like on a, either a monthly or quarterly basis. It's really up to the champion, but the, the program will send out ideas to the champions, right? I love the one where they just get a group together for lunch and learn kind of thing maybe they have pizza or whatever mm -hmm. and then they have people write down on a piece of paper what's causing them mental stress or concern or whatever and then fold it up and they put it in the bucket right mm -hmm. and then the champion pulls them out and reads them so you might have 10 or 15 people there and as she starts to reading my wife and I are getting along. My mother's terribly ill. We lost my dog. They realize like everybody has some stressor in their life. And the whole thing is to normalize right. conversation, right? Anyway, so that's, that's a huge important thing that I'm working with clients and helping them become more engaged and, and getting those tentacles out into the actual right. workforce, what I right. call human sensors, to catch these things way early before they manifest themselves, in my interest, into ultimately workplace violence. Wow, right. <laughs> but what I'm trying to do is say, look, if you do this, this helps the whole workforce, not just those that might be on the pathway to violence, right? Yeah. Wow, I love that. I think that kids and especially teenagers, they don't realize that everyone is feeling that way. But I think normalizing that everybody is feeling these stressors is yeah. really helpful. And I think it shows that the company cares when you do something like that. Yeah, until we replace all, all the bio units with robots. We're right, need to... the bio units. Are we the bio units? <laughs> 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 then what are the bio units going to be doing when all the robots come in? <laughs> yeah, that's actually a whole uh, another presentation that I do. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because it's coming. It's coming wow. really fast. And so then the bio units, aka humans, become the strategists and the 
robots become well, worker bees? I mean, yeah, well, yeah. so obviously, if it's, if it's basically a repetitive job, you can write that off in the next 10 years. Those jobs won't exist. By 2025, we'll lose probably somewhere between one and two million jobs to robots, to automation. Right. Wow. But anyway, um, our dysfunctional government should be thinking about this, but as companies replace humans, bio units with automation, there should be like a human replacement tax, right? It says, okay, I'm going to buy this robot for my hotel that now I don't need people to run food to the rooms for room service anymore, right? So I'm going right. to eliminate that job. If I eliminate that job, fine, but you don't get the full benefit of that and just throw that cost, spend $10,000 on the robot and that's it forever or for mm -hmm. 10 years until you upgrade the robot or whatever, right? That you should pay some kind of human replacement tax that goes into minimum in income strategy so that by being part of our society and part of our economy, there's a minimum viable income for people that are are displaced, right? And so as, it, as that is more and more and more, frontline physicians are going to be replaced by the AI, receptionists, hotel clerks, a barista is already being replaced madly in, in Japan and China, and it's starting to come here. I was in, it's either SFO or Nashville, one of the two airports, and sure enough, there was a robot barista console you just punch in your coffee and the robot goes right. and then yeah, yeah. puts it out and if you want a bun it'll pick the bun yeah. off and give it to you and it's all automated right right in japan you typically have like a 70 year old woman or man that's sitting there kind of cleaning up and refilling the hoppers that's mm -hmm. it that all can be automated today not all but most of it yeah. there's always a secondary right where it's like some things that yeah. the computer can't handle but if I can go to a company in Japan and walk up to this automatron who's saying, Konnichiwa, welcome to Nissan, and, and switches from Japanese to English, accommodate me, and walks me through what I need to do to register, notifies the person that I'm visiting, no humans. So why can't we have something like that? For a meeting it doesn't necessarily be an automatron, but basically all the decisions and rules and all those things are in this in the computer, right? right? It's like, well, I didn't I didn't pay in advance, but I have this coupon, and all of that stuff is like just done. Right. You don't need six or ten people there to deal with and hire and train. Do you and, see AI and and automation as the answer to the staffing problem we're having right now? 100 percent yeah 100 percent huge investments right now why i'm saying it's accelerating mm -hmm. in companies now investing in automation and robotics to produce at a lower per piece cost right than having to staff it it's just like those auto plants like Ford or whatever had that had 4,000 workers and now Toyota has one in Alabama producing more cars with like 300 people. Right. 
Right. And in what time frame do you expect to see that in, in hotels and the hospitality industry? I've already seen it, so now <laughs> yeah. it's a matter of scaling it. Right. And I'm telling you right now, the frustration that retail and restaurants and hotels have around getting staff they're saying okay i'm going to make this investment this one-time right. investment but i'm going to have a a two or three year payback and then from then on it's like really margins take right. off right right uh, now there's things like housekeeping and those kinds of things that are still difficult there's other areas for example guard forces right mm -hmm. if you have sensors and you have robots that can do the tour and look around and be there or can respond to some alarm where you don't have to dispatch a person and the drone technology is really big around that you know an alarm goes off that there's motion on the back fence and the drone will come off of its thing and it will go over there and it has video it sensors audio and so the person that's sitting there is like it's like they're there what are you doing you need to get off of this property right now and the right. person's going holy shit it's all being recorded <laughs> yeah and then they follow them to their car and get the video of the license plate and right. and be able to kind of assess the situation rather than relying on the bio unit right. to really be able to describe what's going on. So those are the kinds of efficiencies that we'll see. So that's all coming and as is vertical takeoff vehicles will have, we're going to have in major cities by 2025 flying taxis. By 2025, flying taxis. Wow. So that's coming on. Vertical takeoff, essentially, like personal drone flight, essentially. And uh, that's about 100K. You can have your own, essentially, flying drone car. <laughs> that's supposed to be coming in 2024. Okay. Wow. Well, I feel like a dumb bio unit right now <laughs> with very limited skills <laughs> when i talk to people like about college right and it's like yeah let me just tell you while you're in college suck up all the knowledge that you can that's why i love liberal arts colleges right. versus technical because you will probably have 15 different careers kind of areas of expertise in your life not one or two wow. like we had because there's going to be all of this change and elimination of jobs and and so we're going to become like a certification society right where mm -hmm. okay i was a staff accountant and i was certified but now the computers are doing all that and the data is all being run with analytics and okay those jobs are fading away so now i'm going to go and certify as a i don't know dental hygienist or whatever all the jobs will be a function of certification not a typical four-year degree it's going to be maybe at best a couple of years that i think will be ultimately paid by the state by the country but but at the end of the day you're going to go certify whether it's devops whether it's accounting whatever whatever and then you're going to go do that job Right. And people are going to say, I'm, I'm looking for a level three certified accountant. Wow. A lot of food for thought.
Thanks for listening to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. Be sure to rate and review us and subscribe. Check back for new episodes soon.